Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. Walk the store and see the savings for yourself. In the seafood department, look for the yellow low price sign on Whole Foods Market Responsibly Farmed Salmon. This fish is perfect for the grill. Buttery, fatty, yet lean, nice thick fillets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I know I can get it at a great price. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. Grammar Girl here. Today, I'm going to give you a quick and dirty tip about making names that end in S plural. I have a great article by Gretchen McCulloch about a writing phenomenon called a crash blossom, and I have a tidbit about funny asides in style guides. Style guide writers have personalities, and sometimes those funny personalities come through in their writing. Last week, a woman asked me how to make her last name plural. She had recently married and become Mrs. Mears, and she wanted to know whether she and her husband are simply the Mears or if together they are the Mearses, making it plural by adding an ES to the end. She wrote, quote, I'm aware that if the word ends with an S, you would normally add an ES to pluralize, as in Lewis and the Lewises. However, I've also heard about the exception when the word that ends in S has the sound of a Z, such as withers, as opposed to the sound of an S, as with Lewis. I used to think the plural would be the Mearses, but after some research, I'm wondering if perhaps it should indeed be the Mears. Her question made me pause. I was 99% sure it should be the Mearses, but when she mentioned the sounds like a Z rule, I did vaguely remember hearing something like that somewhere, so I did some research just to be sure. The Chicago Manual of Style, the AP Style Book, Garner's Modern American Usage, and the Cambridge Guide to English Usage all say to make names that end with S plural by adding ES and make no exceptions for pronunciation. Garner is particularly adamant that adding ES is the only way to do it. The one source I found that does mention the Z exception is the online Guide to Grammar and Writing, produced by the Capital Community College Foundation. And even then, they say there are exceptions to the rule. For example, the site says it would be Jones's, even though Jones ends with a Z sound. I usually consider that site to be a credible source, but in this case, with so many other sources lined up against it, and it not being all that firm about the rule, I'd say to ignore their advice and go with adding ES in all cases and saying we are the Mearses. The Z sound rule is also a problem for another reason, beside all the style guides lining up against it. It's hard to determine whether a name ends with an S sound or a Z sound. At least it is for me. I tried the trick Gretchen recommended in her article on the Canadian pronunciation of the word about. I put my hand on my throat when I pronounced Mears and Jones and some other names to see if I could feel a buzzing, which would indicate that I was making a Z sound. Sometimes I was, and sometimes I wasn't. The pronunciation difference between an S and a Z was too subtle for me to pin down. 
Do they pronounce their name Mears or Mears? I wouldn't be surprised if different families pronounce it different ways. So having a spelling rule based on pronunciation would be a problem. So for that reason, I'm especially glad I can tell you that just adding ES is the best choice. Call yourself the Mearses. And thank you, Mrs. Mears, for the great question. That was your quick and dirty tip. And now we're going to talk about crash blossoms. Last week, the Associated Press had a rather alarming headline. It read, quote, Dutch military plane carrying bodies from Malaysia Airline Flight 17 crash lands in Eindhoven, unquote. With the amount of tension that had been in the air around the two recent Malaysia airline crashes, it's no surprise that many people interpreted this headline as meaning that the Dutch plane had crash-landed, a third crash, rather than the meaning that the AP intended, that the Dutch plane carrying bodies from the crash had landed, only two crashes. It's the difference between military plane carrying bodies from Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 crash lands and military plane carrying bodies from Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 crash lands. Although the ambiguous headline was quickly corrected, it remains interesting linguistically as an example of a phenomenon known as a crash blossom, a headline whose words are easily misparsed, often to a humorous effect. The name crash blossom is from an unfortunate headline similar in spirit to the Malaysia example. A user named Bessie3 posted to a forum called Testy Copy Editors the confusing headline, Violinist linked to JAL crash blossoms in August 2009. And subsequent commenters decided that crash blossoms would be an appropriate name for similar examples. The vividness and usefulness of crash blossoms meant that it quickly spread beyond the original forum post to a blog post by linguist and writer John McIntyre and onto language log and elsewhere, aided by the fact that lists of crash blossoms are often highly entertaining to read. For example, even before the term crash blossom was coined, there were two compilations of such headlines from the Columbia Journalism Review, respectively titled Squad Helps Dog Bite Victim and Red Tape Holds Up New Bridge. More recently, there's also an entire website, crashblossoms.com, that collects user-submitted examples of crash blossoms from the headlines. Crash blossoms are the only kind of confusing sentence structure. Other famous examples in psycholinguistics are known as garden path sentences, such as the horse raced past the barn fell, or the old man the boat. When you first try to understand these sentences, they'll lead you down a garden path of thinking they're about a horse who raced or an old man. But when you get to the end, you realize that you have to reinterpret them as about a horse who was raced past the barn. The horse raced past the barn fell and the old who manned the boat. Psycholinguists create garden path sentences deliberately because people's confusion at reading them tells us that we start trying to find meaning in a sentence as soon as we're exposed to any part of it, rather than waiting until the end. But if you're aiming for ease of comprehension rather than experimenting on your readers, you probably want to reread your writing later, or have someone proofread it to avoid crash blossoms, garden paths, and other kinds of misplaced modifiers. English is particularly prone to crash blossoms and garden path sentences, because so many of our words can belong to multiple parts of speech, 
without any visible change. For example, crash can be a noun, as in I heard a loud crash, a verb, as in I don't want to crash the car, or a modifier, as in crash victim. In many other languages, nouns and verbs always have some sort of visible and audible difference between them, just like crashed with an ed must be a verb and not a noun in English. In normal prose, we're less likely to encounter crash blossoms because we have lots of function words, like to and the, that help us distinguish between to crash and the crash. In a headline, on the other hand, where these short words are often omitted, it's easy to end up with something that has multiple possible interpretations. And it's hard to notice in your own writing because you already know which of these interpretations you're intending. Interestingly, if you're learning about crash blossoms and garden path sentences by listening to the podcast version of this article, you may notice that it's easier to get the intended meaning from spoken language than if you're reading it in text. That's because spoken language also comes with intonational cues about which words belong with which other words. For example, I might pause slightly between crash and lands if I'm talking about something to do with a crash that is landing, whereas I'd run crash and lands together if I'm talking about the entire event of crash landing. We can approximate some of these cues with punctuation, such as a hyphen or a comma, but ultimately written language is just somewhat less precise when it comes to exactly how you'd pronounce something. Oh, and by the way, if you're confused about what the original Crash Blossom headline meant, violinist linked to JAL Crash Blossoms, John McIntyre explains that it refers to, quote, a young violinist whose career has prospered since the death of her father in a Japan Airlines crash in 1985, unquote. Smashing. That segment was written by Gretchen McCulloch, who blogs at All Things Linguistic. Check out her site for other great posts at isallthingslinguistic.com. And now onto your tidbit. Sometimes when I'm reading through a book or site with writing advice, I'm struck by something funny. For example, the Chicago Manual of Style Q&A section often has tongue-in-cheek answers or funny opinions. And there's the classic example of Samuel Johnson, the dictionary writer, defining the word lexicographer as a writer of dictionaries, and then adding to the definition, a harmless drudge. Last week, when I was researching Mrs. Mears's question, two out of five style guides I checked made me laugh. First, I was reading the guide to grammar and writing about the rules and exceptions, and then I came across this sentence. We have a modest proposal. Women whose last names end in S, pronounced Z, should marry and take the names of men whose last names do not end with that sound, and eventually this problem will disappear. It was so unexpected that it made me laugh out loud. And then, when I was reading Garner, he had a snide comment. In an example of an error, he notes that a book about a family of lawbreakers and generally bad people with the name Jukes was titled The Jukes, A Study in Crime, Pauperism, Disease, and Heredity, when that title should have started The Jukeses. He added, quote, to the list of evils in that title, the 19th century author might have added poor editing, unquote. It was as if he was so annoyed he couldn't contain himself. It's not uncommon for me to occasionally run across a funny comment, but it's unusual for me to find two such comments in the same day when researching one topic. I guess how to make names plural just brings out the personality in usage writers. 
I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find hundreds of Grammar Girl articles at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening, and thanks for eight great years. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.